godly morning, spoken by Pastor Michael Carrion. Praise the Lord. Metro, what an honor to be with you. What an honor to uh, uh, work with and be in the grind of ministry with family. It is such an honor uh, to serve with Pastor Peter. For, for many years now, we have been family um, not just uh, me coming here, but uh, Metro investing in the ministries of Promised Land Covenant Church in New York City. Pastor Peter, uh, almost 20 years ago, was my coach when I first came to the Covenant. And uh, he's tur- even though he's younger than me, he's turned into a mentor. He's still my coach, still my pastor, and uh, just an honor. We've spoken for years about what would it be like if there would be some form of partnership and connectivity, and as God would have it in his providential plans, uh, I moved to Inglewood uh, because of Peter, (laughs) and then wind up um, now supporting uh, the work that uh, God has called him to do, along with Pastor uh, Pontan, Sanita, is just one of the most gifted uh, women that I know in ministry, uh, and Pastor Michael Yee, and Doug, and Cho, and so many, just so honored uh, to be, to learn, to support, and to um, do ministry with you. Uh, we are in the middle of a series, not in the middle, we just started a series. Uh, Pastor Peter launched a tremendous sermon last week uh, discussing, uh, of course, the book of Matthew for the rest of, the, of, the, of this year, but uh, the Beatitudes. I loved his introduction sermon. I thought it was right on point. I loved the way he unpacked the, well, there were several implications, theological, and I even believe social clinical, uh, for us to consider uh, as we study the Word of God. Uh, but before we do that, let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, for what you're doing. I pray, Lord, that you touch my mouth. I pray, Lord, that this word go forth in power, in demonstration, in transformation. I pray that those that hear the sound of my voice would be transformed by your spirit and see the person of Jesus in their lives. I pray that you get the glory. I pray, God, against every principality, every power, every generation curse, every demonic force, every spirit of confusion, everything that's contrary to you. We put it under the blood in Jesus' mighty name. Father, have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. As I stated, Pastor Peter jumped into, uh, I think, a very deep sermon last week. And as I was watching it, I was like, wow, this is, this is so meaty. And I, when I got the word a few weeks ago in regards to me uh, speaking and sharing, reflecting on Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, I was challenged. And I know that you know, the Spirit of God and his plan and his providential plan uh, or- orchestrated this. But boy, when you talk about the topic the specific beatitude that's the assignment this morning, uh, you know, it's hard. It's hard for me. Uh, I love the way Pastor Sunita came up here and she says, you know, we got to stay encouraged, we got to stay, but sometimes the scars take a long time to heal when you see and you hear uh, the suffering that's happening in our country, in our church, in our world. All we can say is, come, Lord Jesus Come, thank God for the word of God that can give us a guidepost, that can give us light for the path of this journey. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, seeing the crowds and reading from ESV, he went up unto the mountain, and when he had sat down, his disciples came to him. Peter's first implication was those disciples that want to go deeper with Christ, then they've got to climb some hills with Christ. 
they, they, they leave the crowd, the Bible says. They leave the throngs of people that were following him. Only the disciples went into the hill uh, to be with him, went up into the mountain to hear what he would say. And as he unpacks just for those who were willing to climb that mountain, he says, and he opened his mouth and he taught them saying this, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then verse 4, which is my assignment, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And I've been praying for comfort for the last 10 months. I've been praying for comfort and healing and resolve for the last 10 months. If you look at the status of our nation, if you listen to the news uh, media, whether you call it fake or you call it real, the, the racist rhetoric that has poisoned our world, poisoned our country, we need the Spirit of God like never before to release healing. And we have got to be open vessels Humble enough to say, Lord, I'm willing to let go of my anger to allow you to be the potter and we be the clay as you mold us and fashion us into a people of resolve, into a people of peace, into a people who are willing to embrace comfort, who are willing to embrace healing, who are willing to embrace the other way, the third way, if you will. Uh, whenever you study the book of Matthew and the Matthian narrative, uh, you, you understand that this is an invitation into a deeper formation as you follow the voice of God. Uh, Dr. Roy Blizzard says this, <coughs> excuse me, New Testament uh, scholar. He says that the Beatitudes, all of them, are truisms that should be understood in the present tense. Truisms, meaning that they are the truth plainly described uh, implicated uh, and then presented that should not just be looked at retrospectively, but in the now. And he says, and when you study rabbinic tradition, you can see that they are also echoes and hints that lead back to the Old Testament that reveal God's plan and that was written for us prior to the incarnated Jesus. Dr. Blizzard uh, also implies that uh, Matthew chapter 5, 4 really is an echo or a looking back at Isaiah 61, 1 through 3. Isaiah 61, 1 through 3. And as I, as I put the layer on this, I just want to listen to the words of Isaiah in chapter 61. This is a very common, uh, very, very used um, text that we use for different holidays. And we talk about it when we have justice rallies. And it's, it's, it's the narrative that, we, that leads us uh, when we're dealing with tension. And I think it appropriate that Matthew 4 reflects this. It says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. It's a Christocentric. It's a messianic text. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prisoner of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. To comfort all who mourn. All of the liberation, <coughs> all of the mending of the broken heart, all of the liberty to the captives, the opening of the prisoner doors is to address mourning. What is mourning? 
within the context of Isaiah 61. Verse 3 says this, To grant to those who mourn in Zion, <clears throat> to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, and that he may be glorified through them. What are the implications of Isaiah 61 within the context of mourning? Well, the first implication is this, if you're taking notes. First implication is mourning is something that God himself addresses. He addresses our mourning. He addresses our mourning within the context of captivity, in the context of suffering, in the context of brokenness, in the context of not being the majority culture, but being the minority space. That's what's implied in Isaiah 61. Because someone is doing the captive and putting them in captivity. <clears throat> and God himself is saying he addresses the mourning from that outcome. Mourning is something, biblical mourning is something that God wants to address. We can't take our broken hearts to anyone else but Jesus. Because when we do, we find ourselves even more broken. Even more broken. I've been in ministry for 30 years. I've seen some things. I've experienced some crash and burns. I've suffered. I have failed. I have jacked things up. And God in his mercy has always brought comfort, but always brought guidance when I've gone to the right people for the guidance. I wonder who's mourning today who can hear the sound of my voice. And I wonder who's going to the right people to address the mourning. Who are the right people? The people that are filled with the Spirit of God. The people that know Jesus and will make Jesus known in your mourning, in your context of suffering. We have to own this in the world that we live in today. And some people might find this as a harsh statement. But you invited this preacher on this week after that stuff. <clears throat> we are doing ministry in Babylon. And we have got to learn Babylonian to preach the gospel in Babylonian. We understand this. But nonetheless, we are in captivity. Nonetheless, we are in margin space. Nonetheless, we cannot erase the images that we saw this week in the highest office of our government. Nonetheless, we have got to, re we have got to reconcile the, re the reality that uh, the way they dealt with Black Lives Matter at the mention of a protest at the Capitol is not the way that they addressed it this past week. It's not. I, I had to explain to my 12-year-old niece as we watched the imagery on the news, and this might be a little too personal for you, but you're going to have to deal with it. I had to explain to my niece, 12 years old, why there was a hangman's noose pictured right in front of the Capitol building where all of our laws are created by the House, by the Senate, right? I had, to, I, had to, I had to explain to her the history and what the imagery meant. And then I had to explain to her and deconstruct the confusion that there were thousands of people, some who claimed to be Christian, <clears throat> walking by that hangman's noose with a big sign that says Jesus saves in the same space, in the same imagery, as they walked in and rocked that building. Uh, reports came out of the New York Times that there were those, and I'm not trying to be crass, that as they were walking in the building to do the riot, they were putting feces all over the walls. This was not a protest. This was a demonic act. 
This was a presentation of evil and the church saw it. And I would even say to you deeper that part of the issue and the reason that this happened was because of the church's neutrality and silence around the justice issues of this country. Let me say this clearly, and we can agree to disagree in the name of Jesus, but this is not a, a Christian nation. It never was a Christian nation. We may have tried to borrow biblical principles and put them in within our constitution, but there was nothing Christian about a hangman's noose and putting Jesus saved next to that. Or the cultic Trumpsters, and I said it, cultic Trumpsters, that say this is King Cyrus. That is a misappropriation of text. It is heresy. Just please pick up your Bible and read it. And I'm not trying to get political, but our entire nation is in mourning. And the only one that can save us and deliver us from the captivity of our own creation through our sin and our fallenness and our racist rhetoric is Jesus. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. The comforter, the Holy Spirit, God himself says he would comfort us. In the history of the African-American church and the Afro-Caribbean church, we have suffered the margin space. And I'm not trying to make this a social justice Sunday, but th this is the situation that we're in. These are the days that, and we've got to be like the sons of Issachar that understood the times they lived in and knew where to go. You have to know where to go to deal with your frustration, pain, and anger. Pastor Sunita opened up and said, may we do the right thing. May we be peace seekers, kingdom spreaders. May we, may we look for the, for the blessing of the city. We can't do that until we come to the Lord. Mourning is an emotional response. It's part of how we as human beings deal with despair and loss and, 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 and the feelings that God gave us. But those feelings, as Peter uh, so clearly pointed out in his sermon last week, have got to be under the discipline of text, under the discipline of our faith. We walk by faith not by feelings. Our feelings will keep us on a roller coaster if we allow them to run. They'll lead us down dark alleys. They'll lead us into bad relationships. They'll lead us into broken spaces that we ourselves cannot come out of by ourselves. Emotional responses. Never make a decision when you're in mourning. Never make a permanent decision when you're in temporary pain. Those are the worst Outcomes, because many, many times we don't even take Jesus into consideration. We don't come to the word of God. We'll go to somebody else. But we don't come to him who loves us and calls us. From the book of Genesis, you see that mourning on. From the book of Genesis on, you see that mourning itself is, is something that is, 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 is a theme throughout the Bible. Why? Because there's death throughout the Bible. There, there, there's there's a, a, a transition throughout the Bible. In Eastern culture in the first century, even in the book of Matthew, there's one chapter and you see that there's a death and there's, there's paid mourners mourning in a house where a young woman has died. They're paid mourners, which is how important mourning is. There's got to be space for us to mourn. There's got to be space for us to process loss. There's got to be space for us to transition. And that is called sadness. That is called loss. And it is but for a season. After we've mourned, we should then get up. 
Because there's a season for mourning, then there's a season for getting up. There's a season to what? Uh, to, 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 to respond to mourning with I've got to continue. We've got to continue thriving. We've got to continue pushing forward. Eastern culture in the Bible times, mourning was done dramatically. It's almost like they have mourning parties. You see this in the, in the, in the Gospels where there's a, there is a parade of a funeral coming down one street and Jesus coming down another street with the disciples. And as the two come together, it's, it's almost insane because you've got the miracle worker of the, of the cosmos, of the universe, facing death. And that's who faces our dead situations when we surrender ourselves to him. The miracle worker of the cosmos. First point, first point, mourning is an emotional response. And your emotions, you cannot trust them. We confuse love with, affirm with, um, with um, not affirmation, um, but you can become enamored with somebody and you can think it's love. Being enamored with somebody is not being in love with them. You can like somebody because there's connect the dots, connections, but doesn't mean that it's love. Be careful with your emotions. Be careful with your anger. Be careful because it will all, it, out of control and away from the, from, from the authority of Scripture, your feelings will lead you into fights, riots, isolation, all sorts of things. We've got to be careful. We've got to surrender our feelings and our mind. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. That's what he says at the church of Philippi. We've got to watch our feelings and our emotions. Point number two. Why am I saying this? Point number two. It is possible to mourn for something outside of God's will. It is possible. Listen to me. Do not think that you are above this, church. It is totally possible, and including the preacher that's preaching today, has done this. We all have done this. To, to mourn something that was away from God's will. Come on. We've been chasing after things that God didn't want us to have in many cases. And as we don't want to let go because we love it, we want it, it's, we think it's, we've, we're entitled to it, that's another way of idolatry. Where he's no longer Lord and we become our own lords. You see this even within the Bible. This is not my opinion. The Bible gives us a framework to be careful what we're mourning about. And the reality is the implication is that not all mourning will be comforted. Let me say that again. Not all mourning will be comforted. David, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, mourns over Absalom's death. If you do the research and do the study, please, I challenge you. He mourns Absalom's death. His son, who had what? Torn the kingdom in half, slept with his wives, almost destroyed the nation. And Joab, the right hand to the king, how to come up beside the king and slap him, if you will. That's the remix version of the Bronx. But when you read the text, it says it a little differently. But Joab had to tell him, what you're mourning, how you're mourning, this expression, it's offensive to those who have supported you. Absalom's death meant Israel's salvation. You should not be mourning Absalom's death even though I understand it's your son, this was for the good. 
But David himself, a man after God's own heart, is mourning for the wrong reason. And his people see it and his people are affected by it. Other examples in the Old Testament. Amnon wrongfully mourned because he could not have Tamar, his sister. Amnon, lusting in perversion after his own sibling, is in mourning, is in a sense of loss because he can't have his way. How many of us know somebody, or I wonder how many people are out there, are not mourning because what we saw this Wednesday, but they're mourning because more damage wasn't done. They're mourning because they didn't hit every capital office in every state. They're mourning. They're mourning. Maybe they're mourning they got caught after sitting down in people's desks and taking their mail. Ahab mourned because he could not have Naboth's vineyard coveting somebody else's property. Samuel mourned because of Saul's loss of the kingdom. Samuel, Saul was a spiritual son to him. And the Lord rebukes him. I have not chosen him. Go to the house of Jesse and bring about the salvation. Stop mourning that which is dead and which will kill you if you don't control your emotions. These expressions of mourning are inappropriate and that mourning is not good according to the tense, according to the text, according to the themes. What's really interesting is that in every context that I just mentioned, right, it had to do about self. It had to do about selfishness, the lifting up. We need to learn how to mourn properly. We need to learn how to mourn properly. And mourning properly is always going to the text is always going, I've learned this. I cannot mourn by myself because I'm not designed to. I am created to be in community and I am created to be connected to somebody else. And if I find myself in a situation of mourning that is just so overbearing, so overwhelming, the best thing I could do is call a metro pastor, call another believer, call a mature seasoned Christian that can speak, thus saith the Lord, into my life and partner with me. And the two of us can carry the burden. Jesus uses that same word, oh, come unto me, all who are heavy burden, and I will give you for my yoke is, and my burden is. Jesus is the one who wants some mourning. But we've got to be willing to come to him to receive that comfort. By now you already get the implication that mourning doesn't just have to do with dying. R.T. France, New Testament scholar says this in his introduction to Matthew. Those who mourn are not necessarily the bereaved or the penitent. They are the suffering. Those whose life is, from a worldly point of view, an unhappy one and particularly those who suffer for their loyalty to God. The true sufferers in this world should be the Christians. We will not win a popularity contest. That, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that the days grow darker, the, the world gets more violent, less tolerant, and that we walk into suffering and then into joy. That is our eschatological hope, that we come into nothingness and we receive everything in Yeshua, in Christ. This year, I had to deal with 
the first death in our church from COVID was an 11-year-old boy. It wasn't a person that was profiled initially, as they stated, a senior citizen type of upper respiratory infection. It was a child from our charter school. The first death I had to deal with was an 11-year-old seventh grader and his left lung collapsed. And I had to deal with his mother. And I didn't know how, and I didn't have the words to bring comfort. All I could say was that I'm here, and we love you, and you're not alone, and whatever you need, we're going to support you. The school's behind you. Then after that, I got another phone call. One of our mothers of the church passed away. Then after that, I got another phone call that one of our young adults passed away walking in the street in 3rd Avenue in the Bronx, collapses from COVID and just dies. 22-year-old young lady. 22-year-old young lady from our young adult group. Then after that, it was person after person. By the seventh and eighth death in our church, I was scared to pick up the phone. It would ring, and I did not want to look at it. Anybody who knows me knows I'm attached to that iPhone. That iPhone's almost part of my ear. But I was not prepared for the amount of death that would come in this COVID season. I was not prepared for the level of loss that our community would face because of the systemic disparities in the poor communities of black and brown. I was not prepared. And not only was I not prepared, I now was showing signs of PTSD. I had a covenant pastor call me from Connecticut to tell me, carry on, watch your self-care because you're trying to help people as they're dying, but you're dying every time you help somebody. You're now in a context of war. This is what he tells me. You're now in a context of war. This is a plague, and it's hitting your community hard. So much to the point, somebody told somebody, so somebody we're on the front page of the Watch the Post. It went national, the loss we suffered at Promised Land. 15 people died from our church. Back to back, with two, six weeks. I was on one podcast show with an Australian pastor. He says, Reverend Carrion, is, is COVID racist? Because when you look at the numbers nationally, why are all the black people and the brown people dying? And I said, you know, I appreciate the honesty and the transparency of that question. It's not that the disease, the disease itself is indiscriminate. And it is mobile and it's highly infectious. The disease is not racist, but the world that we live in is systemically oppressed and yes, it is racist. And you can clearly see the systemic lines of intentional disparity. You can see how the economics have not gone for those who are on the margins. You can see, you can see clearly that we are living in Babylon. You can see clearly that the world is broken and we mourn. You can see clearly that we need Jesus to come now. God has called us to be the church for such a time as this. God allowed us to survive. Those who even who are in this room and can hear the sound of my voice, you were allowed by God's grace to survive the last 10 months. 
please do not think that you because you're cool. Please don't think it's because, you know, you took precautions. I know people who didn't leave their house and dead right now. Didn't leave their house. COVID went to their house. They didn't leave the house. COVID went to them. But you're alive in your right mind, breathing. The air that God is... Please believe that he allowed you to be a witness to the atrocity and the demonic imagery of this past week as white privilege slapped the entire world in the face. And it is not Trump. It is the entire system. He is a byproduct of the system. He is the king that we chose. And we need to repent. We need to mourn our own idolatry and sin in this country. We need to mourn our selfishness and self-centeredness. We need to mourn. And when I say mourn, own it, repent of it, and then give it to God. We need to own our own bias and racism as a people, as the church. How does the white evangelical church read the same sacred text that I'm reading and is silent on George Floyd, Sandra, Tamir, Trayvon, Gardner, Arbery? How are we reading the same Bible? And you, how are we watching children be taken and are still lost? They're taking babies at the border still. Did you know that it came out that they, they, they started to, they started to uh, give the women hysterectomy so they could not have other children that were in detention? This is not my opinion. This is in the news. Where was the outcry? As an Afro-Latino, I've got to wrestle with the duality of two cultures. I never feel like I fit in anywhere because I'm too Spanish-looking and I sound too black. So brothers don't want to deal with me and the Latinos don't want me. I hang out with Koreans. That's why I'm at Metro. But the reality is I've got this duo culture not fitting in all the way and I've got to find my way. I've got to remember that my citizenship is not of here but of the kingdom of God. I've got to remember that this is just what? A minute in time and then eternity starts and I'll be before the creator. Is anybody hearing what I'm saying? That is our hope. But while we're here on this side, we've got to call Babylon, Babylon. And we've got to preach this gospel in Babylonian. We've got to let them know that there is a king that has authority over every tear, over every loss, in every context of mourning. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. I have failed. I have failed. This whole year, I failed at mourning. If I could be honest and keep it 100, I failed. I didn't want to deal with it. I didn't want to pick up the phone. None of my theological training informs me to go do a, 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 a virtual funeral. None of my training teaches me to not hug or embrace. Or, and I'm Latino, so you know, we touch, we scream, we hug. That's part of our, our colloquial expression. I've had to become somebody else over the last year now, and, and find out who I really am. Broken, still in need of Jesus. I've had to repent. 
I've had to pray like I've never prayed before. I've been in mourning. And it's just now that the Lord is starting to lift up the burden. It's just now that I'm starting to breathe air again. My God is faithful. He's met me. He's met us. But we're not the only ones. Yeah, you may not come from the South Bronx, or you may not come from an Afro-American or Afro-Latino community social context, but there is something that, that you're dealing with in your life because you have money doesn't mean that you've got everything. Matter of fact, more money, more problems. He can meet you too, even though you failed. Can we pray? Can we say, Lord, we have failed and we need you. Lord, touch us, forgive us, and renew us. Three points. Mourning is an emotion. It's an emotional response. It's possible to mourn for something outside of God's will. And we need to learn how to mourn biblically and properly. It's my hope that we would find who Jesus is in our valley of loss. Someone doesn't have to die for you to have an encounter with Jesus. Well, someone does have to die. You. This is the word of the Lord. If you can receive it, say amen. There'll be three steps, and Pastor Sunita will lead you through. Brothers and sisters, you've heard the word, and we know that some of you might be in mourning. So I want us to go through the next steps today as we do every Sunday. And then after that, if you need prayer, I do invite you to the prayer room. If you are a member of uh, Metro Community Church, you know to find the next steps in the communication card. If you're new to Metro, go to emetro.org Sunday, and you can find the communication card there. There are three next steps we'd like to take you through at this time. Number one, I'm giving my life to Jesus Christ for the first time. That's always the first step. If you don't know Jesus, Pastor Carrion already told you that it is, you're not able to mourn properly. Jesus will not be able to comfort you unless you give him your heart. And so if you've never made a commitment to Jesus Christ before, I invite you to do that today. Just check that box. One of our pastors will be in touch with you. Number two, I will reflect this week on where, whether my mourning and lament is God-centered or self-centered. Pastor Carrion talked about, you could be mourning something that you've created. You could be mourning something out of your own selfishness. So take some time this week to reflect, to journal, to reach out to a pastor or, or another Christian and make sure that you are mourning correctly, that it's God-centered. 
And number three, I will connect with a trusted friend or pastor and confess where my heart has grown cold and insensitive to the suffering of others. Maybe you experienced all of 2020 or this week and nothing moved in your heart. I invite you to take some time and ask God to tenderize your heart so that you can feel the suffering of others.